Welcome to episode 702 of I Am Talk, your weekly fix in all things Iron Man. Right here, team, welcome along to episode 702, uh, 702 of I Am Talk of Kids, John Newsom, Bevan James Isles. How you going, mate? I'm pretty good, Bevan, and you? I was just telling John off just before we push the start then, because John had his race on the weekend. We're going to be talking about that in the show today, the one where he did the kayaking. <laughs> and um, I, and I said to him, he puts his race reports up, but he never puts the result in his race report. No need to brag. Well, you did win, and apparently there was no one there. That's what you're saying, but still, you won. But you've got to put your race result in your race report. Okay. No, no, I get maybe this weekend it wasn't a big race. Was, but I, was, you, I was one of three. <laughs> <laughs> but that's, not, that's not my age group. That's one of three. <laughs> and actually, it's actually, now that I think about it, Only it's finished? actually one of two. Because the third place getter, he didn't end up doing the swim. Uh, he just did the bike and the run. So, uh, And did you still beat him? Yeah, but he started after, with, after oh, the swim. Oh, okay. okay. So, um, and the other guy was actually in front of me going off the bike. So I nearly came last. Oh, that would have been gold. <laughs> last in a three-horse race. I once, once, totally off mark, but um, there was a race in Australia, a two-horse race. Mm-hmm. It was just two horses. They had to run it for some reason. It was a, a draw. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, what are the chances of that? Wow. Yeah. Um, uh, I'm Talk is proudly brought to you by... Extreme Endurance. Your Arctic Buffer. And our patrons. Let's name a few, Jombo. Uh, Andrew the Predator Hunt We've got Robert Boom Boom Beelin And Craig the Rock Nicholson Okay in this week's show guys we've got some news We've got a hot topic We've got an interview with a pro who's had a pretty successful career Who you bumped into John No I haven't bumped into her yet We're going to bump into her in about two hours time She's yep. coming around So Lisa Roberts There's a whole um, gaggle of female pro athletes in Christchurch I believe I just saw uh, a post the other day so Laura Siddell must have uh, recruited a few training buddies so we're going to have a chat to her uh, when she comes up later on good times rock and roll we've also got John's race report from his three horse race mm-hmm. uh, winger of the week and questions and answers at the end of it this weekend guys there were no racing but probably the big news is the Ironman Foundation has announced that launching a global humanitarian relief campaign to provide support to those affected by dev- devastating bushfires in Australia the basic premise of it is is that they've made about $75,000 to donate, but they are doing things like selling t-shirts. Um, you can donate to a link that they have, which is ironmanfoundation.org slash relief, and I'll put a link to it in the show notes. It's just a good cause, really, isn't it? It is, and, and, the, and the problem is this is going to go probably go start to fade out of the news a bit, maybe yeah, soon. The rain the, if, if the fires... Um, the fires, are, we get all the coverage over here in New Zealand. Um, well, I think it's been pretty global, because it's it, yeah. a lot of the podcasts I listen to from America, a lot of those people were talking about the fires. Mm, but I'm sure it's going to fade off a little bit yeah. once the fires, maybe if they start to get them put out a bit, and that's when the real um, the real serious crap's going to oh, hit the, the fan the, the rebuild. So guys, if you can get them behind and support this, it's a great cause, or, or go to Red Cross or wherever, but uh, it looks like they've got up to, they've got, they're donating 75,000 uh, Ironman R, and it looks like they're up to 55,000, so we'd like to think we can we can do a bit better than that than the Ironman community, so get on there and, um, and get this money to, to people in need just on that you know like it's interesting talking about the rebuilding of something like this now i know a lot of bushfires is a bit different from infrastructure but we had our earthquakes in 2011 uh housing's about probably 80 percent there now 
Yeah, at least, yeah. yeah. You know, probably the housing's pretty much on top of it. But if you walk in our inner city now, it's still probably only 50% done. Mm. Nine years later. Nine years there's later. There's still lots of construction It's going probably on. another 10, 15 years before our city is complete. You know, when you think of that. Now, it's really cool because our city was a bit of a dog beforehand. Um, and it's awesome to see what it's becoming and what, what it's going to be. But just the amount of time mm. and money it takes to kind of the impact of an event like this is, is absolutely huge. Mm. And going back to that, I was thinking about this the other day, actually, John, uh, just how you guys were so amazing when we had our quakes and the amount mm. of support that we got. Challenge were amazing. Yeah. You know, Challenge Foundation, just they gave us an entry to every race in the world, didn't they? I think so, yeah. Yeah, they gave us – and then you guys donated so much and it was just – it was one of the highlights of doing the show ever was just what you guys did to support us and our community mm. at that time. So just to those who did support us at the time, thank you so much. Um, John, coming up this weekend, well, this is pretty interesting, isn't it? Schumann and maybe maybe Duffy racing 70.3 South Africa. And so we're going to see, yeah, very interesting. Uh, Henry Schumann, I don't believe he's done a 70.3 before. Uh, and he could go quite well because he's a weapon swimmer and he's a good, strong biker and really good runner. So I'm, I'm really interested to see if he could take it out and it's a pretty competitive field so it's interesting in the fact that um, they'll be trying to qualify for Worlds later this year but it's an Olympic year as well well, but that's what's quite interesting because we were talking a couple weeks ago about how when we think about when the Worlds are this year are we going to get the guys who have done well in Kona turning up to the Worlds at 70.3 and we're kind of thinking "Mm, probably not like Mm -hmm. you know if Jan wins Kona is he going to try to keep peak fitness for another how long afterwards is it uh, it'll be so a month. a month and a half. Yeah, so six weeks. You know, kind of most pro Ironman athletes, their season finishes at once. Kona gets across mm. the finish line. So we're kind of saying, is it going to be much of an event? But it's interesting that the the Olympic athletes are trying to get an early qualification in because the Olympics is in August, even July. I think it's even it's July yeah, August. Yeah, July August. So um, you know, someone like Schumann. If he can qualify now, have his Olympics, mm. the, the ITU season pretty much finishes after the Olympics? Uh, no, no, it carries on, but I think it's totally different because you, the, the top few will be burnt out after the Olympics a bit in yep. terms of if you get a medal and stuff, you, you'll be and, on and cloud nine. And it's done, isn't it? And you're done for, you know, and it's been a four-year cycle for a lot of them. Um, but for the rest of them, you know, the season will carry on and they've got plenty of time to prepare for a 70.3. So uh, yeah, I'm excited to see what Schumann can do. Um, and you've also got the likes of Blumenfeld who have qualified. I think Gomez might have qualified, uh, Ashley Gentle. But Flora Duffy, if, uh, she, and, and John Leveson sort of put this story up on Try 247. You guys in the UK are very lucky to have him. It's a great, he really yeah. stays on top of the news. And um, he's thorough and, and interesting mm, topics. Yeah, and... But Flora Duffy, if, as she said, she's a, maybe a bit of a doubtful starter because she's still um, grappling a bit with her ankle injury and not up to 100%. If she races long course, I think she could absolutely tear it to shreds. Why? Uh, because she's so strong on the bike. She's she's strong across all three disciplines. Yep. She's one of the best swimmers. She's the best ITU cyclist. And she's a really, really good runner. So she would be one of the few. If you said, who could beat Caroline Stefan when she's at her bit Not Caroline Stefan. Um... Daniela Reef, who can beat her at the best at her best, she'd go, Well, Lucy Charles, she kinda needs she's obviously gonna have a big lead in the swim. She's getting better on the bike, she's getting better on the run. But you think when Caroline's when why have I got Caroline Stefan in my head? We might be doing an interview with That's her why. later on. Uh, but when Daniela Reef is at her best, probably not gonna beat her. But Flora Duffy Having, I don't even know if she's done a 70.3. If she's at her best, she could beat anybody and she would just tear it to pieces. So, what about uh, the difference between 70.3 and Ironman? 
Oh, totally. Yeah, it's Harold it's, Duffy. It's, it's, she's in the later part of the career, isn't she? She certainly is. I don't know how she is off the top of my head, but she's she's oh, got yeah. a massive years of. She's been in the sport for a long, long time, so she'll have massive base. Uh, and I think she'd be great at Ironman again. She's only thirty two. Only thirty two. So an, if she goes to long course. <clears throat> Completely years. She's got a good. But you got to be uninjured. You got to be. You got to get nutrition right, as we know. But I think she's somebody who could transfer across. Yeah, so here's an interesting it. question for you, John. Who gets injured more, ITU or long course? Um, I would have thought ITU. You'd guys. think so with the intensity, yeah. wouldn't you? But yeah, I would have thought so. Yeah, because you know, you say someone like she had quite a injury long period. Oh, she was out the whole the whole year. Okay, so and has that been kind of part of her career? No, I don't. Don't well, no, I don't know enough about it. Okay. But she, she was. But dominant. I just wonder if someone like like an an, an ITU successful athlete who's had that kind of rolling injury throughout their career when they go to Ironman is that actually better for them? Um, mm. Yeah, it'd be interesting to know. So never thought of that. Um, I just think it's what, the one thing I like about this is that when we think about the worlds now, if we get a few of those ITU guys turning up, it makes it interesting. Oh. My concern about the worlds is is it not going to. It's kind of going to be like that when we had two Ironmans in one world, one year, you know. Sure, you'll be a world champ, but it's not like going to be... Oh, I think it will be a really honest world champs, but I think you might... You but it's 10% get, less, isn't it? Well, you won't necessarily get the big names like the Fredino and stuff, potentially. Uh, but still, I think you'll get a highly quality feel. But you, particularly somebody like you who mainly follows Ironman, not ITU, you might not be as familiar with the names. Like when the fellow that won this year, um, gosh, I can't even remember so his name. It's not isn't it? Um, it's not Christian Blumfeld. It's uh, Gustav Eden. Oh, okay. Uh, not many people knew of him because they don't follow ITU, but it, I knew he was going to go pretty good. So, so and will he come back and defend his title? You would assume so. Yeah, surely. Yeah. How will he go at the Olympics? Uh he did he get in the test event? I think he got like fifth in the test okay, event. Okay, so he's quality. Like yeah, he's quality. Yeah, okay. Uh, that's this week's news. <laughs> yeah, there's <laughs> not much news at the moment, guys. But we have got a discussion of the week. What training do you want to do that you or what what training do you do that you don't enjoy but purely do it for performance? For example, you do it because you feel you have to versus because you actually enjoy doing it. Uh, ben Cobra says stretching slash rolling and release technique. Uh, you just want to relax, but you know you should be worked on working on your mobility and releasing the tightness and better range of motion. Wayne Walker's got cycling in the cold, wet, wind, heat, humidity, <laughs> weather, um, or any weather that is not nice warm temperature with a cool, tiny breeze. Cycling in any Anything that's not perfect, smooth surface with no traffic. I'm in Ireland. I'm currently on the turbo trainer. That, that can be a problem, can't it? Mm. Although you say Sanders did most of his training on the trainer, but you do lack some skills. You do lack some skills. You wouldn't get through the Mountain Man uh, St. James Triathlon well, uh, sitting on your trainer. It's also there's a bit of mental toughness you're not gaining, isn't there? Well, you can swing that around the other side and say there is mental toughness by just sitting stationary, staring at a bloody dog. Yeah, but it's the thing. Like, I listen, okay, so I listened to this really great interview. Do you know Ellery Henley? No. Ellery Henley was. Oh, yes, I do. He was a rugby league player, yeah, wasn't yeah, he? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Argu- arguably the greatest rugby league player of all time. Oh, up there. That's a big call. Well, he, he was, he, he's in the conversation. Yeah. You know, he was a British player, came over. He's one of the, back in the 80s, the British players came to the NRL and only a handful did any well. Mm. And he came over and he did really well. And, and back in the UK, he just dominated the game. So mm. he's definitely, he's, he's a legend. And I listened to an interview um, with a podcast recently, and he was just the definition of the word discipline. You know, mm. like he just did, and he talked about his athletic career. And everything about his athletic career, he just he just said, 
I just did whatever it took to be the greatest. It, no, no, he, he wasn't. He wasn't ego. It was never about being the greatest. He just said, "I just did whatever it took to, to do my best performance." And he talked about how he always did more fitness. And it was a different time. Guys didn't do fitness like they do nowadays. But he mm. said, "I always did more training than anyone else did." So he said that in the last twenty minutes of the game, I just always knew I was fitter, and I knew I could push through where most people were fading away. But then post career, he's also a hugely disciplined man. So like he plays piano. But he only plays 32 minutes a day because he knows he loses focus after 32 minutes. Mm. He's learned a new language. So he was, I was just really inspired listening to his interview around this idea of discipline. And so since listening to the interview, I've made my, a rule in my life is each day make the most dis- disciplined decision in all moments of my day. And it's been a real kind of interesting personal experiment to go through because um, – a, I've lost a lot of wastage in my day. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like I've, done, you know, like that whole moment when you grab your phone just because you've got nothing to do. Mm-hmm. I'm not doing that anymore. Productivity is. I'm, I'm a pretty productive person anyway. But productivity has gone to another level. Um, and even just little things like I don't know, just lots of little moments where I just go, "What's the more disciplined choice?" Mm-hmm. And because I'm on this path at the moment, I'm making a more disciplined choice. And I'm just, I really like it. I'm more productive. I'm getting a lot more done. And I like the state I'm in within myself as I'm doing this. And to, going back to that kind of when you always to choose the turbo trainer, sure, you might get a quality session, but you are looking for the easy out. Mm. Yeah, You know right. what I mean? And when we get to a race, if you've trained yourself to always go to an easy out, is that, mm. is that a kind of a subconscious place you go to? Mm. Whereas if you have a wet day and you're like, no, nah, I'm disciplined person, I'm going to get out and train in the rain. Mm. Does that then take, you know, there's an identity that comes with that. Mm-hmm. And I, while you might argue, you may even get a better performance if you get on the wind trainer. Mm. Sometimes it is just about being hardened up because there's an identity that comes with that. Like I remember years ago I did a race, we did road, maybe the you and I did it. Remember Jordan Rapp? No, not Jordan Rapp. Um, the other guy who was, oh, he always lied about his age. Remember oh, when? yeah, 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 yeah. Um, <laughs> was, Luke Dragster. Luke Dragster always lied about his age. <laughs> no one knew what his age was. And uh, and him and Chris McDonald having a sprint finish. And Jordan said to me, Luke Dragster, Luke. after he beat um, Chris in the sprint, he said, always when I race, always when I train, I always finish for sprint finish, every training session. Yeah. And in the race, he had that identity to tell him to do that. Yeah. And I just kind of think that with this, you know, that sure – Sometimes it's easy just to do the thing and you can't justify it. But actually, you want to do it because it's an identity thing that comes up at important times. Mm. And to me, there's real value in that stuff. Get off that trainer if you're on there all the time. So Wayne, stop being a walker. Get off your get off get out there in that wet wind hot humidity weather. Tim Tansley, Z two turbo trainer. So that means basically just going pre cruisy on the trainer. Marginally better than riding in the dark slash rain, but why would you sit on the bike to watch T V unless there was a byproduct? Yeah. Just getting on the trainer and just riding at a low intensity would yeah, but you're, you're much better to go outside, aren't you? Mm. If you can, but granted, yeah, I know, sometimes I know. for us, we, we, we don't understand what the climate's like elsewhere in the world. Uh, in New Zealand, we can pretty much ride year-round, and even in the winter, it's not too bad. Mohammed, how do you say that last name, John? Adreos? 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 Pretty much the same answer. Long t- training zone two, or run or bike rides. You just need to follow a certain heart rate and enjoy the ride. Extremely boring and frustrating. On the other end, Ross Taylor, great cricketer that he is, uh, <laughs> VO2 max intervals on the trainer. Come on, Ross, again, like Bevan said, um, you've got to look forward to those smackdown sessions um, that are going to test you to your limit. I also think that whole thing of learning 
enjoying learning how to get the most out of yourself in that. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like le- learning to love the process. Mm-hmm. You know, how do I get myself in the right mental state? How do I kind of learn to work through that? That kind of enjoyment of that. Uh, Duncan Penfold's got, I take extreme endurance purely because it's performance related. Totally. And that, that was the, the question. What do you do that's purely performance related that you wouldn't otherwise do? And taking supplements and stuff is, is definitely right up there. Yep. Uh, Graham McCullum, uh, I enjoy every. I enjoy every session afterwards. I don't look forward to any sessions. There we go. Uh, Richard Twenty Noah has got uh, any time my heart rate goes into an anaerobic state for more than ten seconds. Kylie, the Colonel Cox. Uh, a couple of people have said this. Does swimming count? So a lot of people don't enjoy swimming. I'd struggle with the sport if there was one sport that I really didn't like. You know, I learned to like it, but it was never a passion. Yeah, and I think you're in a similar boat to a lot of people. But I'm indifferent because I've always swum. But I love swimming. But my thing is. I'm glad I've done it now. Not that I swim much nowadays, but whenever, because I was someone who never swam a length in my life when I started Ironman. Mm. Um, and I'm glad I've got the skill now at least. Um, I'll do a couple more. Lisa K, eating. Otherwise, it would be Burger King every day. So she's more about disciplined eating. Good old Pavel Chalices. Uh, leg shaving. Totally. How many of us would shave or wax our legs if we weren't doing triathlon? And then I've got, uh, John Stewart's got here, vomit-inducing intervals. David Dowdy, last one, uh, when you make me do TTs. Okay, there's another one coming your way. <laughs> TTs are great. You've got to look, love, I love looking forward to TTs. Uh, unless, unless you're not in great, if you're not in great shape, oh. then they're pretty miserable because you're going to probably feel like rubbish and probably put out a poor performance. But it's just the mental conditioning that it gives you and the, the challenge. It's you know, I treat them like races, just get fired up for them. And if you Come flop, on. yeah, if you flop, you flop, but it's the best training you can do. Yeah, totally. Okay, John, what's yours? Uh, I don't know that many that many people actually put sort of doing strength and conditioning and gym work because that's But do me. you do it? Uh, very. Right, I, I do functional stuff outside and I do some core work, but actually for me to go and lift weights or do... Because the question was, what do you do? Okay. It's what you should do. That's what I should do. Yeah. And I do very occasionally. Um, So what do I, I guess, what is the question that I do purely performance related? Uh, Yeah, mainly would be that core conditioning work. Yeah. Devin? That's it. That's that's pretty much it. Uh, Again, I put supplements in there. That's purely because of uh, performance related measures. Um, That's mostly it. Devin, what can you think of? Yeah, yeah. Well, well, other than swim, bike, run, what, 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 I can't remember what I did extra that was purely performance related. Um, it would have been supplements because mm. I'm not someone who uses a lot of supplements in everyday life, and I'm a tight ass. Um, yeah, you, 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 okay. Here we go. Buy stupid shit. Okay. You know what I mean? Because a lot like when you first start out, admittedly, I didn't do it later on, but you buy things because you think you're going to get the performance out of it, mm-hmm. and often it's a waste of money. Yeah, you know what I mean. But you're kind of bought by the, the salesman of selling your speed. And I remember when my first one, I everyone does. Well, most people do this. You go to the expo, you buy like forty things. <laughs> I never fell into that trap, thankfully. Well, you were young, so you kind yeah. of knew all the crap. But you know, you you buy. Someone tells you it's going to give you a minute off your time, so you buy it. And yeah, it's just a waste of money. Exactly. <laughs> you can buy a little bit of speed, buy some wheels, mm-hmm. get a good bike. 
Yep. You know, good shoes. Yep. Get some vapor flies. Yep. <laughs> but outside of that, yeah, yeah. Okay, this week's you, question. You can veto this one if you if you want to. But uh, this week's question: Ironman rules prevent the use of certain wetsuits and swimwear that provide an advantage. Should those same rules apply to footwear? And that, that really does go along to the vapor flies. So David Doherty sent through a great article that the New York Times did. I read it this morning. It was pretty fascinating. Um, pretty detailed article around. They, they really are proving to improve performance. And they've done a lot of, with this article, uh, I scanned over it yesterday, um, they did a little lot of statistical modelling on um, yep. marathon running. Because I say normally, because they're kind of saying, well, is it because just fast guys are wearing them? Yeah. Or is it because they're choosing faster races? And I'm like, no, nah, it's actually it's kind mm. of mainly the shoe. 4% performance mm. over an average shoe, 2% over a performance shoe. Mm. That's massive in a marathon. It is, yeah. And they're even saying like, because the woman who broke, Paula Radcliffe's record they're saying it, it puts a bit of a scarring on her because you know like it's like when the swimming records mm-hmm. all got broken mm-hmm. isn't it because those records got taken away didn't they I think they did when they then Bevan, what Bevan's talking about here when they swimmers started swim, wearing like the full length uh, swimsuits like from ankle weren't wetsuit but it was like a sleeveless wetsuit type thing it was only thin, thin material but it made a significant difference and all the records got smashed yeah they definitely did that. I'm sure they did that in cycling when they got rid of some of the uh, crazy aerodynamic bikes. Or well, they might still have them listed, but they've got an asterisk next to them, yeah. I think. Mm. Have you, have you um, tried the Vaporflies? No. They're not cheap. I no. think they're US. Question, or maybe we'll save this for next time. Okay. Whether you'd actually go and buy some if you were training for a marathon. I think I would. Mm. You know, like if I'm... If I'm let's we'll I'm save doing, that for next time, though, but you've well, already no, answered it. it. <laughs> uh, but like if I'm doing New York and I want to do a good time, mm. 400 bucks investment. Mm. You know, like if I'm trying to get, and especially if you're going to that goal time, let's say, I, God, what would I do a marathon right now? No. Let's say I'm trying to do like a, really take it seriously. I don't know if I could do a 240, but let's say a 245, you know, mm-hmm. and I really want to push it really hard. Um, you know, you're buying speed. I haven't really looked into them very much, but I wonder. Um, Everyone's wearing them too. Yeah, I know, but whether they're training in them a lot as well and whether they, what impact yeah, they have in training. Yeah. Not necessarily. It'd be like wearing racing flats. Like I'd wear racing flats in, in a race, but I'd only do a few training sessions. Yeah, but I wonder them. because it's got the carbon plate. If it if it feels slightly different when you're running, mm. like I wonder if it's shifting your biomechanics a little bit as you're mm. moving. You know, we think of the the Newtons, which are a bit of a fad thing that went away. Mm-hmm. Um, although one of one of my coaches, Alex, who's a, she won the Auckland Marathon, very good runner. Um, she still runs in Newtons. She loves them. Mm. But um, you know. That kind of slightly shifted your movement. Oh, making a big difference. Yeah, so it'd be fascinating. Um, John, we've got an interview coming up. We have got Lisa Roberts, so listen on in. Here we go. Righto, guys, we've got somebody live in the studio today, which is always good. Um, Lisa Roberts has won multiple iron distance races, and she's one of the speediest runners out there. I think I remember, I think he might have been in Rote, the year we were there in 2017 and Torsten was there and he said watch out for Lisa Roberts she's going to do a speedy runner I think there was two or three speedy runners that year he said okay we'll keep a look out for them um, so welcome to New Zealand welcome to Christchurch what are you what are you doing in New Zealand well right now um, I'm in New Zealand training for uh, several triathlon races but um, the main reason why we came here was to do I'm doing a relay with my husband for the coast-to-coast multi-sport race which is in a couple of weeks so that was our impetus to come here. Not that I need that much of a reason to, you know, come to New Zealand, but um, that's the main reason why we're here. And then, you know, of course, throw in a few triathlons at the same time. Now, you're based in the States, but how did you find out about the coast to coast? Uh, so I lived in New Zealand about 15 years ago, 
and I uh, lived up on the North Island. And of course, as soon as I started working um, at the office, they found out that I was a runner and an endurance athlete. So I immediately got recruited for all the different relay races. And I was a rower for a while and did a number of things. But coast to coast, there were a few people in the office that were training for that. And that seemed very intriguing to me. So for 15 years, that has been one of those races where it's like, I've got to do that one of these days before I die. So I just chose this year to do it and dragged my husband along um, for the adventure. And here we are. Wow. Um, was the temptation, so for people that don't know the Coast to Coast, it's uh, it's a little bit longer duration than an Ironman, but it's also got a kayak leg in it. Was the temptation to do the, the whole thing yourself with the kayak? It is, yes. So I would, this is kind of my preview year. Um, we'll see how this whole thing goes. Um, kind of keeping an eye on my husband who's doing the kayak portion this year on, on our relay um, because kayaking is definitely not my thing um, at this point. So we'll see how this year goes. And then I think I would like to make a run at it on my own one year. Nice. Every, longest day or the two day? Oh, the longest day. day. Oh, yeah, if you're going to do day. it, might as well do the longest yeah. day. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Why spread something over two days when you can do it in one? Um, so just tell, tell us a little bit about yourself. You know, where you're from, um, how long you've sort of been doing try and just sort of your, your general background. Oh, yeah, sure. So um, I'm from the States. Um, I grew up in a small town in Illinois, but have been in Tucson, Arizona now for, oh, God, 20 years. Um, and that's kind of where I got my start into triathlon. So I was a runner um, as I was growing up um, in school and collegiately, and then moved to Tucson um, to get my master's degree there, and then quickly got sucked up into the triathlon and cycling scene. Um, and then once I graduated from uh, school there, got a job and figured this is a great place to be if I want to be a triathlete or even train for triathlons. So stayed there for a while, um, had my little stint where I came and worked in New Zealand for about a year and a half or so, and then went back to Tucson and have been there ever since um, training and racing. Um, I never thought that I would do triathlon professionally at all. Um, it was kind of one of those things that it was a nice break from all the running that I was doing, um, being just a runner um, for much of my life. And um, kind of started doing pretty well at some of the races and figured, you know, let's take this next step and see what I can do against the big girls. So that's what I've been trying to do since then. <laughs> when you say just a runner, what was your, your distance? What was your specialty mm, when yep. you were just running? Yeah, so I ran cross country and track and field. And my specialty in track and field was 1,500 and 3,000 meter Ooh. running. So yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, cross country races were about uh, five, usually about 5K. Some of them were 3K runs, but I'm discovering now that I'm getting to know some of the people who are also training for coast to coast here and particularly for the mountain run at coast to coast, that our version of cross country running in the States is nothing like what you guys do here in New Zealand at all. Um, so, cause we ran on these nice sort of groomed golf courses yeah, and maybe yeah. you'd go into the woods a little bit. I mean, this is fu like full on cross country racing is what, what you guys did here. So, um, I'm, I'm getting, I'm getting my ego kicked a little bit by trying to to do this kind of running here but yeah and when you finished your collegiate career did you still have a desire to have a running career post that or 
Um, you know, actually, no, I didn't. Um, I was really starting to get burnt out on just running and kind of thinking, you know, my knees were starting to go and I was here at this point, maybe what, 21, 22 years old. And I was thinking, is this it? Is this all that I get to do now for the rest of my life? And, and, uh, just had somebody in graduate school who mentioned that I maybe should try to do a little triathlon. And I thought, okay, that's fine. You know, and, you know, as I think a lot of us had done in the especially in the past getting into triathlon it was okay I went to the you know used bike store and picked up like a road bike that was you know way too big for me and just kind of started showing up to the pool thinking that I would figure out how to do the swimming thing and um, just kind of picked it up very grassroots all the way along and and just sort of listen to other people when I would go to races or I would you know meet people during training rides or runs or something like that and just figured it out as I went along um, there was no formal anything I mean I, I had no no idea what I was getting myself into, but I immediately enjoyed it as soon as I um, tried the first race. And I thought this might be a great way for me to be able to extend being able to compete even longer. Yeah. yeah. Um, I've got to say, you look through your results and I reckon you're one of the most traveled athletes around. You seem to race on every different continent uh, throughout <laughs> every the week. year. Is, yeah. is, is, is that because you love to travel or you just go, I want to do that race? What's You're everywhere. Uh, you know, a little bit um, of all. I do love to travel. Um, I do choose my races um, based mainly based on my particular strengths. So I prefer to race um, more difficult courses. So that might be a lot of climbing on the bike. Um, the run can also have some climbing or it can get as hot as it wants on, on the run. I don't mind that, but I'm, I do prefer races such as like Ember Man or Alpe d'Huez mm. Triathlon or Ironman France, or, um, there are other races where, um, even the last couple of years I've been working toward the challenge, um, world series. So mm. I've been choosing some of their races as well. Um, not only to get points for the series, but sometimes to show up to block other people from getting points. <laughs> so, um, some of those have been some strategic races that I've chosen. Um, yes, last year, I think I covered 13 different countries through yeah. training and racing. Um, and I did race three full distance races within a four week period on three different continents. So, yeah. <laughs> so, there's a lot of podiums, a lot of, uh, you know, when you look through, you're consistently in the top five, you've got plenty of um, podiums as well. And by podiums, I'm meaning first, second or third. Mm -hmm. um, you kind of feel like you're at your peak uh, or is there more to come? And like, where does sort of Kona sit in all this stuff or are you happy doing, the, doing it the way you do? Yeah, I mean, I think I've, Boy, for full distance racing, um, I think I'm, you know, probably just at the peak um, of where I can be. Um, I am. I just. I did turn 41 on this past November, so um, I'm no idiot. I know that you know, if I'm if I'm at the peak, I might be sort of slightly yeah. tilting over and looking at the other side. Um, so I'm basically grasping for whatever I've got left and pushing it all out there. Um, this year, um, I will be taking another run at trying to qualify for Kona again. Um, I did take a break from doing that for a couple of years, just more of a mental break more than anything. And because there were so many other races on um, either the Ironman circuit or the challenge circuit that I really wanted to try. And so having, I mean, when you're all in for Kona, you kind of got to be all in for Kona. You can't kind of sort of flit around a bunch of different races unless you've qualified now that the qualification system is different, unless you've qualified early and that kind of frees you up. But so this year I will make another run at trying to qualify for Kona. Um, if, if it may be my last time that I get to race Kona as a professional, um, that may very well be, but, um, yeah, it's kind of, it's all in, um, this season and next season, if I've got another good one in me. 
how do you manage the lifestyle? You know, um, you're obviously on the road a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, you've got a base, but it seems like you're away a lot. How do you, and you've got a partner. So mm-hmm. how do you, you know, obviously training, but how does that life fit? And how do you make it work in a way that's successful? Oh, God, that is a difficult question. And every single day seems to have another challenge that's thrown at you for, yeah. you know, for whatever reason it might be. I mean, I think you've got to have... Um, there's a quote that I like, and I don't even know who said it, but um, there's this, you know, discipline is freedom and freedom is discipline. And so there is, there's a fair bit of, you kind of have to be very disciplined and very organized with all of your gear and where you're going to go. So it's very strategic at the places that I choose to go um, to try to make it as easy as possible, because just trying to train for triathlon, even in your hometown can sometimes be difficult you know if you've got a long drive to the pool or you've got you know you have to drive to get out of town to ride your bike so I try to place myself in areas where I can kind of cut out a lot of the fluff time spent wasted you know maybe driving around or, or this and that um, to make it very streamlined because there's a lot of training that I have to get done um, you know in every single day and as well as trying to rest in between those and it's the rest periods that tend to get sacrificed if you're not very streamlined with the way that you organize your day and where you put yourself, I guess, basically, especially with traveling. So I've got to choose where I need to be so I'm not wasting a whole lot of time. Um, and that that comes a lot for me because as I first started competing professionally, I was still, I owned um, my own business. And so I ran that. So that was, you know, 50 to 60 hours in my week and on top of trying to train, you know, as a professional athlete. And so it boiled down to, I had to be very streamlined and very organized with my days, almost religiously, you know, I had to cut out a lot of extra, unfortunately, you know, just extra social time with, you know, people just to get done what I needed to get done to do what I know I needed to do at a race. So yeah, it's not easy. <laughs> um, you're a speedy runner and lots of sub three hour performances. Um, I know you've got a running background, but how? Do, what, what's your sort of secret in terms of trying to be a speedy runner? Is it sort of strength? Is it endurance? Or is there no sort of special secret? Um, I will say, so for triathlon and particularly for Ironman racing, Ironman distance racing, um, it's all strength. Um, and I've discovered that over the years. Um, I prefer to call myself, um, I'm a pretty fast shuffler because <laughs> mm-hmm. that's really kind of what, it, I mean, there's some very beautiful Ironman distance mm. runners out there, you know, no joke. I mean, Marinda Carfrey is a, you know, beautiful runner, you know, Jan Frodeno, they're beautiful to look at. If you watch me run, um, I don't look all that fast, but I can clip off a pretty good pace, um, without having to really, um, utilize too much what, of my legs. What's your cadence? My cadence actually usually hovers right around 90. Okay. So yeah. It's not, it's not, yeah. So surprisingly, and I don't, it's nothing that I really work at. It's one of those things that it's just kind of a natural rhythm for me that I've developed. Um, but, you know, just like any triathlon or multi-sport I think, um, event, it's, and particularly with the run being the last thing that we do, um, it's not so much about the run training. It's about being fit enough swimming and cycling so that you can actually run. Um, that cadence that you need to run or that speed that you need to run. So that's why I say it's more of a strength-based thing than anything because you've got to be super strong to be able to keep up that kind of cadence and that kind of rhythm for that long. What? Because oh. uh, I know in Rote, uh, the, the year we were in, I did Rote last was 2017 and that was when they changed the bloody run course and yes. you had the two laps going up this hill <laughs> and it was a hot day and I saw you ran a 2.56. So I was quite impressed with that. <laughs> yes, yeah. I was surprised by that too and that was... 
My first run, uh, my first and longest run back after um, my one and only injury that I've had, I had a stress fracture in my foot um, the November previous to that race. So about six or seven months before that. And so I had a good couple of months off of running. Um, I did some aqua jogging and things like that. But um, before that race, I think my longest run was maybe 25K. Mm. So um, I hit that 25K mark and went, oh, I'm kind of going into the great unknown here. <laughs> but again, it's just, it's all that strength and power um, that you develop, um, whether it's through, you can develop that through swimming and through cycling as well. And that will help carry you over um, into the run. I, I don't know a huge amount about your career, but the fact you're such a super runner, I imagine most of the races you're always coming back. You know, you're chasing yes. people down. Uh, uh, What's that experience like where that's the consistent experience? Yes, it, it painfully consistent experience <laughs> um, because I am not known for being one of the better Ironman swimmers or better swimmers at all. So um, every race that I do is a game of catch up. Um, and so it's for me, I would much prefer to, because again, Ironman distance racing, it's a momentum race. And I would much prefer to have that kind of positive momentum and catching people mm. rather than being kind of Chase. passed um, yeah. all day long or, you know, being chased all day long. Um, yeah. Um, I probably should have asked if we can we can discuss this now, but you, uh, and we can cut this out if you don't want to discuss it. But uh, I saw on your website or I saw an article about you somewhere about uh, an ordeal you had to go through with USADA. So can are you yep. willing and, and happy to discuss sort of what the infringement was, what happened, and just sort of tell tell us uh, what happened? Yep. So um, I ha- did have um, an USADA public warning a um, couple of years back, um, which actually disqualified me from the 2007. Teen, um, uh, wrote um, performance that I did where I got third. Oh, really? Yeah. So did to give you money back? Um, yes, I never got it in the first place. Yep. Wow. Yeah. And that was because, so um, I have had asthma um, for many, many years. And so I had switched my medication um, previously to that. Now I'd applied for a TUE for my asthma medication before that. And they had um, turned it back both times saying that um, I didn't need a TUE for the amount that I was taking or for whatever I was taking. But I had switched my asthma medicine um, just before I had traveled over to Europe for the summer. And so I didn't um, uh, submit new paperwork for that. Mm. And unknowing to me that the new medication that I was on, it put me over their threshold limit. So when I got drugs tested at um, Rote, it triggered that and they said oh you don't have any current TUE information so they said you know submit your documentation it's all fine once they went through it and saw that the you know the doctor's notes and everything said yeah okay she needs to be taking this they were fine with it and they granted me the TUE to take it but because I didn't have that paperwork submitted before I um, competed at Rote um, they pulled that yeah what was it like What's that? Well, emotionally, what was it like? Uh, that was actually, that's the lowest I think I've ever been in my entire life and thought that I was just done competing in sports. I just, the whole thing, it was, it had nothing to do with, and I know people have their, um, you know, thoughts about asthma and asthma medication, and I'm happy to discuss that with anybody um, personally, but um for me, I am so much, I'm just a hard worker. I'm not a cheater. I don't look for ways to cheat. My God, you know, I just, so to be labeled as that, you know, through social media and through whatever else, um, 
it was a very low point for me because I'm a pretty much a straight arrow and um, that just, it doesn't look good to have an USADA public warning. It doesn't look good to, ha- to be disqualified from a race, you know, for whatever reasons that might be, people may, may or may not believe me. I don't really care, but um, yeah, that was pretty low for me because that's just not my character. How did you work through it? <sighs> I, poof. It, it took me probably about a year and a lot of it just had to be reminding myself of who I am. I know who I am and the kind of competitor and athlete that I am and um, just ignoring, you know, anything else that was said about me or in reference to it or, you know, inferred about, you know, me or even, you know, anybody who needs to take asthma medication. So I had to just kind of keep centering myself um, on myself and the people around me who know me, um, not just people who, you know, see me on social media or whatever. And, and just focus on that. Um, cause the more I looked outward to what other people were saying, the worse and worse I got. So mm. it was not easy. I, I don't say it was easy at all. Um, I struggled. So 2018, um, my season there you know, wasn't really all that great. Cause I was just, my head wasn't in the game. I just thought, you know, why am I doing this? This, you know, this isn't, you know, what I remember it being. And, and the whole time feeling like, Oh, there's all these people out there who think I'm a cheater. So every mm. time I do anything, they're going to mm. go, Oh, well, yeah, it's because of this. And it's just, so I just had to put it out of my mind and just go, this is what I like doing. This is who I know I am and just move on. Tough, tough time. Oh, yeah. oh my God. But do you, are you now pretty stringent in terms of... Um, the process. The, yeah, because there's so much on the list. Like, And that's the, that's the problem you'll have as well, is somebody like um, the cyclists say, oh, hey, I ate some tainted meat, and you go, did you? And yeah. and that's the sort of what you would have been dealing with. Yep. So how stringent are you now in terms of looking at what you eat, what uh, supplements you have, and so on? Oh, yeah. I mean, just as stringent as I always have been, actually, um, it was just one of those... I would just call it just a brain fart moments where I should have, I know better. I, you know, I know everything that I need to take and eat and do needs to be checked. And I mean, it's super easy to just go online and to look whenever you have a medication or not really so much with supplements. Supplements are the most dangerous territory, um, I think ever, um, to sort of navigate, um, you know, what do you take, what's safe to take. Um, so I'm really stringent with that. And I actually have a very good, um, sponsor that I know, um, is safe for any supplements that I need to take. So, yeah, it's, I am, it's ridiculously stringent. Yeah, anything. I'm looking at everything that I've got and I've, you know, passed on many of, many a drink or many of this or that, you know, you get little freebies and race packets and stuff. I'm yeah. like, nope, not taking that. Yeah. It's, it's, it's interesting. I always love about this kind of concept of uh, where do you spend your time thinking? And it's just a lot of, being a pro athlete, mm-hmm. a lot of your time must go into thinking about avoiding, you know, just an error that could have a devastating moment on your career. Yep. Um, yeah. yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I get a headache, and it's like, oh, I don't know, maybe I shouldn't take anything. So I just sort of, you know, I, I'm just too scared to take stuff. Unless now, I have contacted many different companies as well. Um, if I, you know, want to use a drink mix or something like that, I'll actually contact some of them and find out, you know, where it's processed and you know how and do they know about you know any sort yeah. of what you know. Effort? Yeah, whatever. And sometimes I just don't hear back from them, so I just won't. I won't take it. Um, mm. If I can't talk to somebody about how their stuff is is made, then I just don't don't take it. Jeez. So a few random questions. Um, nutrition wise, what do you have on race morning for your breakfast? Oh gosh, yeah, nothing really overly exciting. I mean, I think I'm doing like the typical kind of like 
oatmeal and a banana um, and maybe like a, you know, like a piece of toast with some, you know, almond butter or something on it. Yeah. Um, you know, nothing. Oh, and, a, and a coffee. I have to have, a, I have, yeah. to have my coffee in the morning. Um, that's, I mean, for obviously for Ironman versus like a half distance race, um, it's a little bit different. Um, mm. What I'll take, I have to get a little bit more in um, before Ironman. But I'm always trying to do that about at least two to two and a half hours before the gun goes off to get whatever I'm eating some time to settle. And what about during the race? What are you taking in? Oh gosh, anything and everything. Um, uh-huh. <laughs> um, I will, um, I'm, I'm actually, I'm pretty old school on a lot of the gels that I take. I still do like um, some of the power gels um, I've found really work well with my stomach. So yeah. I'm firing down, you know, any number of power gels um, throughout the race. Um, on the bike, um, Actually, one of my biggest calorie sources that I've used um, for many years is um, um, a hammer product, and I'm not sponsored by them, but yeah. um, called Perpetuum. Yeah. And so that's a pretty significant calorie source that I sip on for a while and then kind of, you know, supplement in with, you know, some sort of uh, electrolyte drink, whether it's like um, a noon hydration drink or, you know, scratch labs I've take, taken in the past as well. Um, I'll get those down. And so obviously getting in the bulk of the calories during that bike ride, just to fuel yourself for the run, um, on the run, same thing. It's gels most of the time, um, all the way through. And then usually in the back half of the run is when I start taking in like the Coke or yeah. whatever they've got. Cause I just need that caffeine kick yeah. just to get, get me, to get me through. Yep. Get me home. Are, yeah. you, in, are you into your teak? Am I into what? Your teak, like your technology? Ah, uh, a little bit. Yeah. I, I like to use it as guidance. Um, I think for me, uh, it, it can hinder me more than it can help me. I've had many um, uh, race or a run, particularly a run where when I look back at the run after the race is over, um, when I look at my pace and I go, oh my God, if I would have looked down and seen that I was running you know, that pace halfway through the run, I would have went, Oh, I'm going too fast. I need to slow down. Mm-hmm. Um, and then on the flip side, if I look down and I see what kind of pace I'm running and it might be slower than what I think I can see where that would just immediately kind of, you know, bring your mood down and make it even worse. So I'm very much a go by feel mm-hmm. person and then use, um, like my watch or my computer or whatever it might be as little back checks, um, to what that effort feels okay. like. Um, yeah. 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 Um, and I know you said you're, uh, you know, done a lot of running in your time. So you, we've seen some fast run times. You know, have you done a fresh marathon all in? Um, and if not, what do you reckon you could run a fresh marathon? And if, 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 if you did it properly, if you prepared, you did for it properly. It. I have done one um, open marathon, and that was. Uh, probably about four months before. My, so my first Ironman was in 2005, and it was Ironman New Zealand. Oh. And I freaked out um, about six months beforehand, going, "I've never run a marathon. I should make sure that I can do a marathon." So I signed up to do a marathon in Phoenix, um, which was in January, I think. And so that's the only open marathon I did. I think I ran it in like three hours twenty-four, and hated every minute of that, and yeah. thought, "What did I just get myself into for this Ironman?" So that is the only open marathon I've done. Um, so all my marathons have been faster than that, and they've all been parts of Ironman distance races. Um, I think I could be capable of running kind of a you know low to mid two thirties. I think yeah. uh, marathon if I train for it properly. Mm-hmm. Um, I would like to take a good crack at it um, at some point before I get 
um, either too old or the knees just don't want to do that anymore. Yeah. Um, so that might be something that I look toward here maybe in the next year or two. Yeah. Just um, wasn't uh, 2005 oh. the year we did Taupo? Yeah, we've well, well, well done it. Yeah, same races as you. Ah, right? You're following us. Yeah. We know you. We yeah, know your strategy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> just how like do you, how do you like to be? How do you see yourself as an athlete? I see myself. Gosh, I mean, I I see myself as a pretty common athlete. I guess I don't see myself as some. It's hard to even think of myself as a professional athlete um, because I just do it because I love to do it and I like the challenge of it. And so I just see myself as everybody else out there um, going through the same struggles, whether it be just, you know, getting the training in day to day um, and certainly the same struggles throughout races where you have these ups and downs and highs and lows. And it's just trying to kind of ride all those out. Um, So I see myself as a very hardworking athlete. Um, I don't think I've ever really seen myself as... um, a superstar in any one aspect, but I'm just so dang steady and consistent that um, I think, especially it comes in pretty handy for Ironman racing that I can kind of maybe just sort of like outlive a few people a little bit longer. You know, sometimes that's all it's about in Ironman is like who can hang on just that little bit longer without crumbling. Um, So I'm a very consistent athlete and uh, very, very hardworking because I have to kind of fill in gaps where I think I probably haven't been sort of naturally gifted um, to do certain things. So so you did uh, Tauranga Half Ironman, you're doing Coast to Coast, are you doing Challenge Wanaka? I am doing Challenge and, Wanaka. And then Ironman New Zealand as well? Right. Yep, Ironman New Zealand as well, yeah. Full yeah. New Zealand circuit. And then um, <laughs> plans for the rest of the year? Um, I would like to go and do, so um, the Ironman North American Championships have shifted back to St. George, mm. um, which is pretty close to me in Arizona, and um, a course that I really respect and really like. So um, that'll definitely be on um, a race plan. And uh, see if I can't snag, if I can't get one, um, a Kona slot here in New Zealand, um, see if I can't maybe snag one there in St. George. Um, I've got to see which ones um, may or may not have a women's pro field in it, but um, Ironman Wisconsin has always been on my list um, to do. Again, another just kind of, you know, pretty good course, pretty honest course. And um, it's also pretty close to where I grew up. So a lot of the people that I have known over the years and grew up with, it will give them a chance to come and see me race. Mm. Um, cause most of them haven't been able to see me race. Um, mm. cause I'm all over the place. And, uh, my mother has been only to one of my Ironman races. And that was in Louisville in 2017 wow. as well. And thank God I won that one. Um, because, <laughs> well maybe, or maybe not because she was like, she thought this is the greatest thing ever. Like you win every time you go into one of these races. I thought, Oh, I just kind of set the bar sort of high. Yeah. Um, but, um, that was an amazing experience to have her out there um whenever i you know won a race for you know doing all these races that i've done over the years yep just um uh do you do do like i know you're kind of 41 so you're kind of obviously more towards the end of your career Mm -hmm. do you is it just kind of keep going to see until you feel you can't have it anymore or do you actually kind of go i'm going to this point yeah um i think i i want to choose a point to go to as opposed to kind of just sort of like slowly sliding off into the distance. Yeah. Um, yeah, I would rather, you know, as long as injury or sickness doesn't, you know, choose it for me, I would rather kind of choose that point. And I, so I think, you know, this year I'm really looking to kind of nail a couple of, you know, key races, um, whether it's to get a Kona slot or whether it's because, you know, I might be able to have the opportunity to have family and friends come and see me race. Um, and I would much rather finish on a note like that, yeah. um, than any other note. Yeah. yeah. 
Well, I'm pretty sure your, your pro has also got your website up to date, which is uh, few and far between, so lisajroberts.com. Um, <laughs> any, any other sort of things you want to plug or, or anything you're up to in terms of uh, you want people to find out about or, or how they can follow you? Ah, yeah. So uh, I am. You can follow me on um, – I'm on – Instagram um, fairly regularly and I've got a you know Facebook page but it's um, you know Lisa Roberts try you can find me on there um, yeah I, I try not to take things on my social media like way too seriously mm-hmm. um, so I try to throw in a few funny things um, here and there um, right now I am doing a daily um, what I'm calling Kiwi slang over coffee um, <laughs> so I got a deck of cards from uh, friends of ours um, for Christmas that um, every card has a different sort of um, Kiwi term. <laughs> Or something, yeah. So every morning over my cup of coffee, I just kind of flip over a new card so people can kind of follow along and learn some new Kiwi slang. Um, and uh, yeah, I so I am also for this year, um, I've gotten invited back on to the Sunto multi sport team, or it's actually now called the Sunto elite team. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is an awesome group of there's about 50 of us on that team, um, mostly in, in and around North America. We got a few people kind of um, internationally but it's a great mix of we've got some triathletes we've got some ultra runners um it's a pretty you know legit group of people um and i'm really happy to be part of that again this year um yeah cool well awesome enjoy your travels in new zealand and uh enjoy christchurch we'll send you out on a run after this if you can Um, (laughs) not in these hills are you kidding me (laughs) (laughs) and uh yeah we'll look forward to seeing coast to coast and i'll see i'll see you down in wanaka as well i'm going to be down there so we'll uh, catch a catch an interview after the race sounds good so we're actually doing the interview later, so I'm sure it's a great interview. Legendary. Oh. Now we're going to be asking her about what she's thinking of Christchurch and today. It's a great old day. Weather report. Good day for training. We haven't done a weather report for a while. A little bit of drizzle when I came up here this morning. Good day. We needed some rain. I, I had to ring the I had to ring the fire service because the house next door we've got a blank piece of land next to us, although yeah. it looks like it's been sold. Um, they, they, don't, they don't look after it, so it's getting really high. Yeah. I want no fires next to me, John. So you rang the fire brigade, did a 111. The grass is a bit <laughs> tall next door. I need something done. <laughs> woo, woo, woo. Came Loma. Yeah. No, because I don't know how to get hold of the people. All right. And so you, you ring the council, and the council says, oh, no, you actually got to ring the fire service. So the fire service. Really? Yeah. So the council have nothing to do with it. The fire service will then come around, inspect it, and if it's a hazard, they'll tell the owners to either do it or they'll do it and charge them for it. Huh. Yeah, but it is like if you look at the lawn, if you look next door, and the, the site, we've got two sites next to us. The site next to us, they've done theirs. Mm. Um, yesterday, John, here's a funny story. Yesterday, down there, I think the council were doing that bit down Everyone's there. pointing out the window. Yeah, we've got a big block of land down in front of us, mm-hmm. which won't be developed. Um, we'll be kind of more of a reserve, and that's quite overgrown right now. And these two guys came out and they chopped down, not a huge amount, but a little bit of it, but they definitely did a big penis. Because <laughs> <laughs> nice. I was working at my office and there's two big circles and a big line lying down the middle. And I rang Joe and I said, Joe, do you think they're doing a penis? And there's a big penis right nice. there. I was well impressed. Nice. Uh, John, your race report. John's race, race report. report. Okay, so. so you did the race. You turned up three entrants. How many people were doing the whole race? Well, what they did quite so. The, so if you want to check out the event, it's called uh, the website is stjamesmountainsports.co.nz, uh, and then they've got a couple of races listed there, and it was it's called the the James because it goes through a. Uh, area called the St. James sort of walkway and the St. James uh, station. Have you been there before? Mm, a little bit, a little bit, but not, not as far in as And is it went. farmland or is it public land? Well, I'm pretty sure that, that DOC, which is our Department of Conservation, may have just recently 
bought it, it okay. which is some people are a bit uh, could be good and bad. Um, so it used to be far, uh, farmland, but there's a mountain bike track that goes through there, and there's also a uh, hiking track that goes through there as well. So, what was your first question? How many people did the whole race? How many people did the whole race? So they had a whole bunch of events on, which it seemed kind of crazy. So they had a half marathon. Uh, they had a 100-miler far out of Russell Sprout. They started at like 7 o'clock the, the day before we did it. At One, night? Uh, and I think even in the morning, the, the, there was only about six people that did that. Why, why would they do that? One one did I think the winner set a course record twenty three hours. A guy that I know, you know, Sam Harvey, yeah. uh, he yeah. did like I think twenty five hours. Yeah. There was somebody out there on the course when I was running running, and I thought surely they're not part of this event. They just look like, like like they're walking. Thirty three hours they were going, but they walked the whole thing. It's like to, to walk a hundred miles. Anyway, so they had a hundred mile race. They had a hundred um, mile, not a hundred k. Yeah, I think they had a. Um, they had the option that I did, which was a 1.5k swim, a 64k mountain bike, and a 17k run. They had a kayak version of that as well. They had the version that we got confused about, where you could have gone swim, kayak, bike, run. Uh, they had a mountain bike race, which was probably the most popular, which was a 64k or 100k. Uh, and I think that, and then they had another one, which was just the bike and the run, so you didn't do mm. swim or the kayak. So um, I don't know how many people they had all Hundreds? up. Um, Maybe maybe two hundred at most, I'd okay. say. Uh, the half marathon probably had you know yep. a, a half majority. of that. So uh, in in my race in the swim event, when we took off, I reckon there was probably maybe ten maximum, eight to ten, and uh, a few DNFs. A few people were doing the kayak option as well, so the swim kayak. But as, as it ended you up, said in, ten started. A maximum. Okay. It might have been less. Uh, sure, to know all their names. Sorry. Like that. <laughs> I know all that. Come on, Jeff. But as it turned out, in the men's race, that ended up only being, I think, two finishes. Um, so was that because it was hard? Yes, and not particularly well known. And yeah, but hard. What was, do you mean? Well, like 10 people, surely they come fit. But, but yeah, I think you're kind of going, who's this pitched at? Is it pitched at the triathlon market? Um, and you're thinking, well, most of them are going to be doing Challenge Monica or yep. Taupo or Short Course or whatever, so it doesn't really fit into their season. You think about the Māori sporters with coast-to-coast coast and stuff, that's only a few weeks away. It would be good training for them, but it's a mountain bike. Um, yep. So it's kind of... But, but why, do you, why, why, and it needs why to was only a 20% there. finish rate? Um, I think some people intentionally weren't going to finish, oh. so they were going to do the swim and the bike, or okay. they were just going to do parts of it. So anyway... Um, in terms of the training that I did for this, and I've talked about this before, I went in pretty light. I was doing maybe an hour to an hour and a half a day, and I did literally did two mountain bike, long mountain bike rides, and one long run in the last couple of weeks. So I was going really underprepared, and the race I was expecting was going to take me about six hours. So I was a little bit uh, unsure how the body was going to react to a six-hour event, having not done well, especially in mountain biking. Mm. So what I was expecting um, going in, I uh, knew and expected it was going to be old school Kiwi style racing. I, it, in terms of the organisation, I thought it was going to be very casual, uh, and yep. it was. Uh, in terms of you know you're not going to get anything numbered, bike yeah. racks and all that sort of stuff. But that's um, cool. But that's it was good for you. It was it was good. But they did also had the, a few little frills in there, which was also good. Like the, the race bag was quite good, which some people really like. Um, in terms of actually being out on the course, uh, most of it was really well marked, so I didn't feel like I was going to get lost. And that was, a, that was the, one of the main things I was crapping myself going into the race. You are in the middle of nowhere, like seriously in the middle of nowhere. Uh, and I was thinking, man, I hope this course is well marked because I haven't got a clue where I'm going. Um, 
so, and I was expecting the swim to be really cold, it was. Um, I was expecting the bike to be technical with lots of shingle, and by technical I'm meaning lots of hairpin turns, lots of drop-offs and things like that. Um, I wasn't expecting it to be a walk in the park, and but the run I was expecting it to be reasonable trails because I had actually run part of the run course once before. Okay. So I'm not going to go into massive detail about the course because one of the cool things that I enjoyed about it was the fact that I didn't know what I was getting myself into. Yeah. And a couple of people I spoke to before gave me a few bits and pieces about the race and they said, oh, you're better off just going and doing it and experiencing it. And um, so, so going blind is a good thing. Going in blind was quite cool. And as I said, did I say this on the show or did I say it to you? I think I said it before before we, we started. Yeah, it was before. I was, lining up for the, the port loose and there was only one other person in the line and I sort of didn't really know what was going on I said oh do you know have you done this before you know what's going on and he answered in a, a foreign accent um, uh, no I'm doing this with my wife and she's a pro athlete and she's going to wait for me I'm not going to do the swim I haven't got the equipment to do it I was entered in it so he was one of the DNFs he ended up doing just the bike and the run uh, and his, it was Walter Murlus, who's uh, along with Sonia Bracegirdle, they were patrons of the show. Oh, so, like, nice. there's literally 20 people there, and I happened to bump into a patron of the show. Yeah, so it's because you're a celebrity, that's why. But Sonia did the ra- she did the swim on the bike, and she was planning on doing anything because she had a running injury, I think. Okay. Um, so, the swim. Well, <laughs> one of the things I did factor in, I knew the swim was going to be cold, the water was going to be cold. What I hadn't anticipated was quite how cold it was going to be uh, getting there, and the reason what it was getting cold, there when we were driving in, we yep. got up. Hamner Springs is like in a it's in like an alpine village. Yep, absolutely love Hamner Springs, um, but it's it's reasonable elevation, yep. so it's a bit fresh in the morning. Gets bloody hot during the day, but when we were driving there, it was a cool morning, and I didn't factor in that we were going to above one thousand meters elevation. When we were driving there, it, the temperature in the car <laughs> outside the car got to negative three <laughs> below zero centigrade. Not that. And I was thinking, holy crap. <laughs> and we turned up, and Kylie the Colonel Cox. Yep. Kylie was, the hot check. The hot check, okay, the Colonel. She was camping out overnight, and we were, Belinda and I said to each other, they're going to be freezing. <laughs> we saw her, and she said they did not have a great night's sleep. <laughs> Absolutely freezing when we got was there. Was there and a man? Or? And her daughter, which <laughs> freezing in a tent together. So, um, yeah, but the sun came up and it was a nice day and it warmed up pretty quickly. Well, the one thing you – now, last week on the show, we forgot to talk about this, but you bought around a blue 70 – I'm going to do that next week's show, a little product review no, on No, but – okay, okay, cool. The next week's show. Um, I was expecting the lake to be absolutely arctic, but I had really good equipment and it was really cold – but I think it can often be colder, and I'm going to guess it was about 14 to 15 degrees centigrade. Okay, oh, so that's not terrible. It was it was cold, but with the right equipment, I was I didn't it didn't actually bother me too face? much at all. Yeah, that, that got cold, and towards the end of the swim, my feet were getting um, cold as well. But it was you I've, have booties. I've, yeah, but I have been, I've been colder in a swim before. How long is so, how long is the swim? 1500 meters, and I was I was standing on the start line, and uh, Tyrone was there, and Kylie was there, and a few other people. I said, "That's not 1500." This guy doesn't have a clue how to set a swim course, and I, I thought it was going to be a couple of hundred meters short. Got out, looked at my clock, my watch, and it was like 1516 meters. So oh, it was bang effort. on! Well so done. course accuracy, bang on. Love your work. So swim was nice. Um, out, got cold feet, cold face. Yep, there was a guy that. Uh, was leading in the swim actually and I got onto his feet went around the first turning point and he went in some opposite direction and uh, so I ended up leading the swim out which was which was nice wasn't swimming too hard just the name of the game was to be going no harder than Ironman effort all day because I knew if I did I'd absolutely explode the swim was all good 
um, pedestrian transition, had my little assistant uh, Thomas looking after me in transition, getting all my gear off and what have were you. you allowed, were you allowed assistance, were you? You were, yes, you That's were. Different. It was very low key. Uh, and then heading off onto the bike. Now, my plan on the bike was, to, as I said, keep my heart rate um, under Ironman heart rate. Which, my, what do you, what's that for you? So 135 is kind of where I sat at rote, and that's upper level. Like if I go above that, it's going to be uh, lights out. Yep. So I. Uh, in training, my heart rate had been really, really low, and I was pushing quite hard on the mountain bike. And I was like, "Is it just me? What's going on here?" Um, but straight away on this in this race, my heart rate was up, and uh, and so I just had to just chill things out a bit. You had a nice climb to start with, which was which was good. Warmed up pretty quick. Um, if anybody's thinking about doing this race, I would say you need to have reasonable mountain biking skills. Um, and by that, so when when they grade mountain bike tracks, you have easy. When at least in New Zealand, you have easy. Intermediate, advanced, expert, and then you have some crazy but levels above like, that. For like me, who's a real peasant, intermediate's not easy. No, intermediate's not easy. You're no. right. Because you and I once when in Hamner we got hides and bikes, we go do the intermediate because I thought beginner be pretty basic and intermediate be kind of mm. you know someone who's fit. And I was like, oh no, this we have to take it really carefully. Yeah. So you need to be uh, able to ride advanced tracks reasonably comfortably, not expert because I can't really I, I can just do expert stuff but you need to be reasonably comfortable otherwise you just won't enjoy it no you'll be well, working that was the thing a lot with that ride of joe and i we it wasn't enjoyable at all because you just kind of worried about falling off the whole time mm. and so there was um there was some seriously steep downhill stuff like and i'm talking 15 to 20 percent but really really lots of shingle and gravel so you okay. know you're slipping and sliding all over the place so did you, did you feel unsafe um well there was a few there was definitely some moments that i got to the bottom and went thank God, I got through that okay. So there was, it was, but for me, it was pitched. It, it was like almost the perfect level. Okay. Because it was like I wanted to be challenged, um, but I didn't want to not enjoy it. Going, this is just stupid. I can't ride yeah. any of this rubbish. Uh, so it was perfect for me. I did get off my bike um, a number of times, probably. But I rode. I, I I was really pleased that I rode everything that I think I should have ridden. Yep. And one thing that I didn't factor in was the amount of river crossings we did. It was like heaps. Now that must have made you cold. Um, a couple of them were absolutely arctic. Some, so you did a couple of proper ones where you couldn't bike cross. Like yeah. it's, it's thirty meter cross r- yeah. river crossing. Um, a couple. And of how, how deep? Oh, um, thigh depth. Oh, okay. Uh, you know, above your knees. Yeah, okay. um, but then there was lots of other river crossings that were maybe you know knee depth, and, yeah. and that you you bike through most of those. So I was really pleased because I, I went biking through a river the week before and it took me four attempts to get across <laughs> it. It was embarrassing. So I did that really, really well. But lots of river crossings, um, which was which was awesome. It was really good fun. Uh, but it was just a mixture of everything. You had steep descents, you had some steep climbing, you had some gentle climbing, you had riding through grass, you had riding through mud, you had river crossings, you had technical stuff, you had some stuff you had to walk your bike up. So um, so with this, you know, when I think about you doing a 70.3 or an Ironman, it's very much a process-driven kind of thing. You know, technically it's so simple mm. that you are just kind of thinking about your athletic performance, you know, what am I doing for heart rate and nutrition and so on and so on. Um, just... What was it like as a mental experience in, in comparison to like a tr- traditional race? Um, well, you're, you're concentrating a lot. And all in terms of the numbers, I was just keeping an eye on my heart rate, making sure that wasn't going too high. But then you've got to really concentrate on your nutrition because there's, there's, there's never, basically just, just about never, an opportunity to, to really eat ah, comfortably. Course, yeah. um, 
and so I gave up lots of time and, and I wasn't bothered by it. Like I actually stopped to get out of NIMS power bar and under and, and make sure I chomped it up. And that was actually when I had one of my crashes because um, <laughs> I, I was eating it and I wasn't concentrating and uh, and I just finished it and just stuffed up on a corner uh, and had a little whoopsie. Um, but nutrition was really, really difficult. Uh, even just to get, uh, you know, your camel back just to grab your straw and put that in. You know, there was lots of stretches where you could not take your hands off your handlebars. Yeah. So that aspect was difficult. Um, the other aspect is, yeah, you're concentrating most of the time. On, 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 yeah, yeah, your, your riding's a concentration, eh? not yeah. your performance so you know, much. What's, what's next? What's next? Yeah. Which line am I taking here? Uh, so there's a lot of concentration um, going on. There was, there was a limit, except for the last hour, um, it, it was concentrating pretty much all the time. There wasn't massive big straights of farm tracks where it was really oh, smooth. Okay. So that was, that was challenging in that regard. Um, so as it turned out, my, I was saying I was trying to keep my heart rate below 135. I averaged 128, but I'd say it was actually above that in terms of because because of the descents that would pull my average yeah, down quite yeah. a bit. And I had a few stops where I was just doing bits. So I would say it was around about Ironman effort. I was out there for four hours on the bike, um, so probably about three and a half hours equivalent of Ironman effort. So a reasonable amount of time. It took me 408. One thing that did kick my ass severely because I'd said to Belinda. Looking at these times, I reckon I'm going to be about four hours, maybe up to four hours, 15. I'd be surprised if I'm any quicker than that. Yep. So, so don't bother having my transition set up before that, really. And I was riding well, why along. Why did you say that? Because that's a foolish thing to yeah. say. <laughs> well, I, was, I, I thought this is my own fault if this goes wrong. Because I was riding along, look at my time going, I'm a well on target to go well under four hours here. And, and looking at the course profile, I thought... I think most of this last sort of 25k, there's a lot of downhill here. I'm going to piss in under four hours here. And then there was these two hills. Holy shit. <laughs> One of them, there was no way you could get up. Uh, without. I just don't think you could unless you're really experienced and you'd still max out your heart rate, so what's the point? Yep. And then there was another one that was sort of a 50-50. I sort of rode bits and walked bits. It was proper steep and I could have got up it just, but would have been like Wasn't with maximum yeah. heart rate. And that just pummeled my time down. So to give people perspective, I rode 408. I think the fastest guys, there was one guy who was a coast-to-coaster who was just smashing it. I think he might have done like 320. So I'm losing like 45 minutes. Yeah, but he wasn't in the same race. He was doing the kayak option. Okay. So he was still doing this, basically the same race. Yep. Uh, so that shows the so difference. So who was basically 45 minutes faster? Yeah. Wow. Over a four-hour event. Wow. So and you're a fit man. I know your skills aren't as high, but yeah. you're, you know, you're, a, you're a really fit guy. You know, it really does show how skills mm. can make a big difference. And, eh? and whilst you say my fitness isn't great, and it's not, and no, I was no, I, no, I said your fitness is good. Yeah, but but if I, I don't think I could have ridden massively quicker. Yeah, um, my fitness could have got me a bit quicker. Um, but five ten minutes max. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and, and, it was yeah. skills, eh? It's skills. Well, that's like even like I remember doing root burn years ago. And I stood to the top of the hill, and I was like, "I'm only top three here today." The two guys mm. were wild, miles ahead of me, mm. and I was miles ahead of anyone behind me at the top of the at the top of the mountain. Mm. But coming downhill, that, that, that skill, and, and I, oh, I'm yeah. not a bad downhill runner, but guys are just blitzing <laughs> past yeah. me. Yeah. Although one guy did break his ankle. So, <laughs> um, okay. So then you get off the bike. Oh, so probably the, the only other thing I'd say about the bike is, like m- almost every race you do. The last hour, I was a bit over it. <laughs> you know, yep. you just you're getting a bit tired, and you just go, "Okay, well, I've had enough of this bike ride." Well, the other thing is, when it's on an experiential race, you don't have that push and desire to drive mm. through. You know, and I was solo. I had, I think, maybe four or five people passed me on the bike, which were some of them were in different events. Uh, but other than that, you were in the middle of nowhere. You were all by yourself, and so it was down to you to put the effort in. There was nobody cheering on, uh, but just unbelievable scenery like 
just middle of nowhere just amazing so if you're into that sort of experience this would be awesome um so you weren't first off the bike no and because it was all sorts of different events going on you you didn't really know where you were but one guy had passed me towards the end which was actually the guy who was also doing the race and so uh doing the the swim option he was quite a good swimmer as well um and i passed him on the run though uh, in your face <laughs> so onto the run you come into transition and this is old school uh, you don't really know what the hell's going on yeah. uh, you know everything was marked out well on the bike course but the transitions you kind of didn't really know what was going on and and so I'd said to Blinder and Thomas I said make sure you, I need you to lead me out so I know where I'm going and you, you went I thought you went out the same way that you came in on the run so I was all ready to go out and turn left and go straight on the run course and I'd seen runners coming along and so I thought sweet that's where we're going that's okay I don't actually need any help and we're running out of transition and Thomas says this way I said no you, you go I, do I listen to my 12 year old son <laughs> you never I listen to your 12 year old son I go on my own six here I said, are you sure this is the right way? And he says, yep, yep, we've, been, we've checked it all out. And I said, okay. And we're running directly towards the river, which is, it's a big river. Yeah. Uh, and I said, we're not going through there, are we? I, want, I, was, I didn't have trail shoes. And, and I knew most of the, 95% of the run was, was no river crossings. So they put you so through I the thought, river right at the start. I don't want to put my bloody feet. So I got to the river. I said, I'm taking my shoes off. Oh, did you? <laughs> and it took me ages to get across this river. And then on the other side, I put my shoes back on. And Thomas was laughing because I fell over in the river. And I, but I kept my shoes above the water. <laughs> And then you're running along the other side of the river and I thought, the run course is on the other side of this river. I've got to cross it again. Took my shoes off again. And on Strava, I looked at it and my time said 1 hour 22. And I said, I'm sure my time was 1 hour 29 or 28. Yeah. So I lost like six or seven minutes putting my shoes oh, on. Oh, really? Off. Wow. So, uh, so wait, was it half? It was 17 Ks. Okay. So I got through the river crossings and the rest of the run was great. I really, really liked it. Again, it was like, it was perfect profile for me. It was fairly well-formed trails, nice bit of uphill then you had a, a steep sort of scramble in the middle of the course and then you had a sort of gentle downhill so I actually really really liked the run course and somewhat surprising you had really good energy and actually ran um, ran pretty well didn't run really hard but started to pick it up a bit at the end and again it was around about Ironman pace so total race took me six hours and eight minutes and more or less doing it at Ironman effort so if you kind of think if I did you know I'm normally nine hours of Ironman. It was like six hours of Ironman effort. So it was I was stuffed at the finish, but wasn't Dying. rooted. Yeah. Uh, if I'd had to go on for another three hours, it would have been pretty tricky. So a little points you got here. Uh, Nutrition-wise, I know people are always keen to listen to what uh, people have for nutrition. So pre-race, I have two EMS bars, EMS Power Cookie bars, and I have a serve of UCAN. And during the race, I had a stronger than normal um, formulation of Infinite. So I had um, two bottles, which both had 90 grams of carbohydrate in them. And... Um, what was tr- tricky with this race, you had to carry everything and you had a backpack. Yeah. And, and so I had to have I had two litres of water, plus I had a drink bottle in my backpack and then one on my bike. Uh, but you had to have all this emergency gear and I was planning on carrying a bottle of infinite, a uh, bottle of UCAN as well, but I ran out of space. So the bike, we had was two, two 90 grams of infinite, uh, an EMS bar and a couple of gels. And then on the run, because I'd fueled, and I got through all my fuel on the bike, because I was so well fueled off coming off the bike i uh, didn't need too much on the run i had a bit of infinite and uh, and a couple of gels and some lollies so that was it took out the w as um, bevan said but uh so wait a second with the guy in the kayak what, and how'd you go against those guys oh he was miles in front and there was another guy kayak guy who beat me as well he <laughs> gotta have this guy a bit of respect because uh tyrone who you sometimes hear about on the show I do, a yeah yeah 
quite a bit of training with, and uh, he was out there doing support crew. And I said, who is the dude in the bloody dreadlocks? Because he gassed me on the mountain bike. I was going up this climb, and I thought, oh, I don't think I can get to the top of this without absolutely maxing out. And I could see somebody coming up behind, and he came past me and pedaled all the way up this climb. I was very impressed. <laughs> and he must have run okay, because I didn't catch him. And Tyrone said he came out of the kayak, and he was cramping and just fell oh, out of his really? kayak. And uh, so he was impressive. So I got beaten by two kayak athletes, but one of them was like, yeah, he said he put 40 minutes into me on the... Uh, so it's obviously elite, kind of yeah. supportive. So he was pretty good. Um, so thinking about next year, if people are interested in doing this, there's also an option where you do a 2K swim, a 100K mountain bike, and a 50K run. I'm contemplating it. And uh, if, if, you, if you like your mountain biking, you like getting out back, I'd thoroughly recommend this race. And it'd be worthwhile traveling if you're an Aussie or something like that. It's an event you could travel for and, uh, and go for a big adventure. Okay, good times, rock and roll. Well, let's talk about extreme endurance, Sean. I'm sure you used a bit of that over last week. I did indeed, and man, it made a difference because I did a, a long run about maybe two weeks before, a week and a half before. Uh, it was two hours. Got back from that, I was in agony. I was like, holy crap balls. How am I going to get through a race where I've just literally only just run two hours and I only did it at Ironman pace, or Ironman effort. I thought, this is, uh, I'm in the crap here. So I started cranking my extreme endurance for probably the 10 days leading into the race and had next to no muscular soreness afterwards. Performed, I performed better than what I should have been able to in terms of, so I probably... Uh, I didn't, didn't dodge a bullet, but I, I probably got a better performance than I think I deserve for the amount of effort that I put in. And I put some of that down to extreme endurance because I felt really good coming off the bike. Um, so it was all good. So if you guys, if you haven't tried it before and you're going into a you know race, whether it be Ironman New Zealand or Challenge Wanaka or, or a race over in Australia or you're getting ready for a marathon and you are just looking for that little extra edge, especially in the later stages of your training or even just leading into the race, uh, I've never heard of anybody having any adverse side effects or anything like that or no. negative um, impacts. It's all been positive. Yeah, so check yeah, it, it is, out, isn't it? Xendurance.com. Uh, and we'll go back to our discussion of the week and that kind of where can you buy speed. Mm. Well, this is one of those ones that does work. Yeah, you absolutely. Because if you can train better and you can consistently day in, day out get that better performance training, you are buying speed. And it's nice when you get a recovery from a race and you're not quite as smoked. Again, so if I had another race coming up, you know, I'd be uh, I'd be good to go. And I put a lot of that down to extreme endurance. So check it out, xendurance.com. Uh, Although I do know I'll, show you, the hair's getting longer and you've got your jandals on today. Well, the hair's getting long because i kind of got to fit in with the crowd, you know. You don't want to be turning up and it's also because I'm being lazy. Uh, yeah. I don't jandals. get jandals often. Uh, but I'll tell you what I did do, I literally did this morning was bought a pair of trail shoes this morning. I've got a pair of trail shoes recently too. They're heavier but they are good, aren't they? And so it was quite a tactical decision because I was thinking... If I've got heavy, the, the, the shoes that I was running in, um, they're not, they don't drain very well. And I just didn't think that we had river crossings. And it's my own fault for not looking at the three details. The fact that it's a little bit harder on the, you know, because you, do you run in flats or do you just run like a Mizuno or like just, a running I shoe? just ran my training shoe. Okay, um, so I was just thinking, if I have wet shoes, they're going to be heavy for quite a while. And so whilst I'm giving, I probably didn't actually get all the time back that I, um, that I lost. But that's, that was my rationale. Okay. Uh, Extreme Endurance, xendurance.com, guys. You, you know what they're about. We've talked about them for a long time because they're a great product. Uh, go there to get your Extreme Endurance or any of their amazing products. John, let's do a winger of the week. I'm going to say the number is 42, and there's going to be a story about that later on the show. Number 42, John. 42. Number 42. 42. Michael Taylor. Michael Taylor. 
he did 15 hours and 20 minutes of training. Uh, he did one hour and 10 minutes swimming, nine hours and five minutes of biking, and five hours and four minutes of running. And let's just click on Michael to see if we where he's from. He's from Balmain in New South Wales. Balmain Tigers. Balmain Tigers. Oh, That's so Ellery Henley played for Balmain. It all looks together, John. Yeah. I'm pretty sure he did. I'm going to look that up. I'm pretty sure. Hello, Henley Bellman. In the last four weeks, Michael's done 47 kilometres uh, average distance with his running. Uh, he's done an average of six rides per week, average distance 89 Ks, and he's done an average of three swims per week. And let's have a look. What's his. Oh, biggest ride. Hats off to you. Bloody hell. 332.2 kilometres. Wowzers. Yep. Belmain Tigers, 1998. 1988, sorry. Yeah. There you go. Good memory. That, that, that's amazing how it all looped together. Michael Taylor, looks like you're... Michael yeah. Taylor, no, Allery Henley. Yeah, Belmain, New South Wales. Hopefully you're okay with all those fires, Michael. Fires? Oh, Australian yeah, yeah, fires. Yeah, of course, yeah. 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 Sorry, I was kind of looking at Allery Henley. Okay, John, questions and answers. I've got one here. It's good old um, Shay sent this through. Uh, just first of all just actually some really good information Mike Phillips has had some back issues talking about Ironman New Zealand last week we're talking about who's going to be turning up and stuff but Kiwis are going to capitulating yeah I know so Mike Phillips had some back issue he wasn't running lately so not sure if he'll be defending his title uh, Terenzo has an Achilles surgery so he won't be participating Cam Brown has a chronic calf issue so he also unlikely to participate not sure about Graydon Braden Curry however I heard uh, Rudd Carterfield is listed uh, if I'm not mistaken, this is going to be her Ironman debut f- after focusing on shorter distances in the past few years. So this, this, Braden turns up he's going to be favourite, but it makes it a pretty interesting race, doesn't it? A less interesting race. Well, well yeah. Joe Skipper's racing as well. Oh, um, well, well Joe's. Yeah, yeah so, so he'll be solids, but, but it is nice to have that full Kiwi mix because then you've got the full spectrum of different strengths and weaknesses so yeah I think Mike, Mike's 50-50 I think Terenzo's definitely out by the sound of it and Cam I'm sure Cam will rock up and I'm sure he'll be starting it just depends what sort of uh, running ability he'll be able to do female side I'm pretty sure because you lose those three names oh yeah you know, that's, that's who you want there, isn't it? Yeah, I'm um, pretty sure I saw Meredith Kessler down on the start list as well so um, yeah should be good times Tim Garrett's nominated himself for age group of the week we don't need you to do that sorry no. But you are, you do want to give him some credit. Yep. Uh, he said he did the arch to arch um, race. Tim is one of these guys. I think he's quit life and just done adventures. Is he? Yeah. If you look at his website, the amount of things he's done, timmygarrett.com. Um, he, yeah, I, I'm pretty sure he quit life and just thought, I'm going to be an adventurer. He did uh, the arch to arch, was an 87 mile swim, 21 mile English uh, crossing uh, the channel, and the bike 180 miles. Uh, and then he went over and did the Uberman, which we talked about in California, which is crazy. Um, he did the Cook Strait swim in New Zealand, so that's, uh, that's a challenging 26 mile swim. And then he's done the Manhattan Project, which I remember uh, he swam. Smooth. Yeah, but he swam. This was. Uh, a swim bike run version of it swam 28.8 miles did the Manhattan Island ride 521 miles and then ran 145 so good on you Tim he's got he's got three events this year the Hard Bastard Hawaii Project and uh, Ice Swim Guinness Book Reeled Record attempt at, uh, involving an ice swim and I rate this as extremely difficult no shit Sherlock uh, very few people have tried this for obvious reasons it's dangerous I'm not quite sure exactly what you do but he's trying to beat the world record so maybe it's just seeing how long you can swim in the ice mm. I wonder what that is that's got 
Okay, new second prediction. Here. Longest ice swim. Well, the longest plank. I see somebody set four hours for the longest uh, plank. No, longest plank's like nine hours. Oh, is it? Yeah. Maybe there was a female swim. I'm, uh, okay. I, I just saw somebody, somebody post it. Okay, here we go. Longest. Now, it's done based on distance, not time. Okay. So it's how far you swim, mm. not how long you're in the water. The furthest ice swim recorded by an International Ice Swimming Association <laughs> <laughs> by a male swimmer is what do you reckon, John? Distance. K? I don't know. No, you're well off. 3.44 K. So what is classified as having to be uh, ice? I mean, Mm, what's the temperature of the water got to be? Um, He was swimming in a temperature of 4 degrees Celsius. That's just stupid. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I did that in 2018. Wow. Good old Timmy. Timmy's trying to beat beat the record. record. You want to be a fast swimmer, wouldn't you? Yeah. Aaron, the interpreter, Hurwitz, um, was telling us that Garrett Thomas has said that he wants to, to give a triathlon and iron distance racing a crack when he gives up cycling. So Garrett Thomas won the Tour de France a couple of years ago. So see if that happens. So, so okay, let's say he does it. What do you reckon? Well, he's, yeah, he'll do, okay? I think he's done triathlon as a kid, the article said. Yeah, but he's, he's, not, the, uh, he's not Lance Armstrong. So you know, I think it'll be... Yeah. Not, not on drugs? Sorry? Not on drugs? <laughs> well, yeah, but I don't think it'll be a factor. I'm sure he... I don't just for fitness. Yep. Bit of fun. Stuart would be riding the bike, wouldn't he? You'd think so. <laughs> uh, Jim Flynn. Jim Flynn sent us through his book. I know we, Jim, he's written a book and he's really proud of it and he wants everyone to know about it. But he's not very good at marketing, he told me. <laughs> and when he sent me through his book, I said, is there a link for it? And he goes, no, nah, there's no link on Amazon. I'm thinking, surely there's a link. <laughs> and then the next week I get an email, oh, there is a link. Uh, so the book is called Be Sincere Even When You Don't Mean It. And I'll put a link to that on Amazon, which you can get it from the Kindle store for like, I think, it's, let me have a look here. It's $3.42 New Zealand. I'm not quite sure what that will be wherever you are in the world. Um, and you can go buy Jim. It's got three five-star ratings. Nice. So what happened with my book, John, on, on Amazon, because my publisher released it originally, mm-hmm. and then um, and I so I like I, it was a five star, and I had like forty five star ratings. I was loving it, and then my contract with my publisher finished, and so so then you get ownership of the book. Mm-hmm. So now I can sell it on Amazon, and I can I've got some books I can if you want to buy it off my website and stuff. Um, but I lost all my reviews, oh, no. <laughs> and so now my book has one five star review. Oh, no. To my head because I basically redo the whole process. Um, okay, John, let's talk about our patrons. William, the treasure chest Lockwood. We've got Scott, the shark man Gill. And Scott, the bouncer Stephen. If you want to become a patron on the show, go to www.imtalk.me. John, when will we be doing the draw? Uh, we normally do it uh, sort of about March time. Okay, so if you if you want to go to Kona with the boys and go in the draw, mm. uh, we've probably got how many patrons? A couple hundred? Yeah. Yep. So good chance. Mm-hmm. You know, if you want to, if you want to get on, get on it now because we'll be doing the draw for Kona this year. You get more entries depending on your level of patronage. So mm-hmm. the people who donate more get more entries to the draw. Um, but also you get a gift um, and you get a chance to come to the to Kona with the boys. But also you get to support the show. So thank you to all the patrons. If you want to get the show emailed to you, go to the website me. Bottom of the front page, put your information in. Uh, if you want to become a patron, also go to the website. If you want some coaching, coachjohnhuston.com as we do that. My other podcast, bevanjamesisles.com and other content such as Age Group of the Week, cool websites and other feedback, you can just email us at imtalkpodcast at gmail.com. John, your gloss other than your race. Not much going on, although we went and did Conical Thrill in Hamner Springs. I built a new hydro slide there, which is... Uh, What's Conical Thrill? Uh, it's just like a big... You go down, come down a real steep section. I didn't actually go on it, the kids did. And then you go up like this big wall and then sort of just come sliding down. So that was the highlight of the weekend for the kids. How high is high? 
30 meters? I don't know. Oh, like it's like a, they, they thought it was pretty. Legit. 30 meters high. Oh, I don't know. You, pretty, you this house is this house is I think seven meters. Okay, maybe it's a little bit less. <laughs> maybe it's a little bit less. Maybe it's ten meters. Maybe yeah, thirty. Maybe a bit of a stretch. <laughs> Uh, outside of that, Ben, that was just sort of my the what happened with my week last week was going up there and family <laughs> just, weekend away. You tell me that story. One time years ago, I was, I, was, I was living and working in LA for like five months. Um, it's kind of just before I started the show actually, and I was touring around America with Fitness, but we were based in LA and we, we went to Extreme Rapids, and it was this theme park, a, a mm. kind of a water world kind of theme park. And one of our friends was shit scared of heights. Mm-hmm. Her name was Susan, and she was a real character. And it was one of those rides, but it was really high, and it was basically mm-hmm. just shoot down. Mm-hmm. And when you did it, you literally, it kind of, you just felt like you were falling. Yeah. <laughs> you know? And so it just kind of, at the bottom, it just kind of caught you, but you were safe, but mm-hmm. it was pretty scary. And far out, I, I can't describe how funny it was, but <laughs> she was she just seen someone so shit scared. Mm-hmm. And she's falling down, she's trying to grab the side. <laughs> oh, mate, it was so, yeah, you had to be there, but just you telling me that story made me laugh. Yeah, 30 meter conical thrill. So that, Bevan, it wasn't, uh, yeah, took the kids mountain biking. Great. If you want to, Hamden's a great spot. Love it. Highly recommend it. Yeah, took the kids mountain biking the night before the race and then uh, the day after, which was, which was all good fun. Hot pools. Uh, did you go for dinner? Did you go to the place, the, the, the really allocate place by the bookshop? No, did not. Oh. We just got some big, greasy Indian takeaways. It was great. Had a great thing. Okay, next time you're there, leave the kids at home. How old's Thomas now? 12. Is he old enough to babysit? Some, sometimes we do, yeah. Okay, yeah. Okay, leave them there. Yeah. In the Hamner. Now, you know where you're going up towards Chronicle Hill? Yeah. And there's kind of the bookshop little on the left. The bookshop, um, a little kind of paper yeah, yeah, pluses in there. Yeah. There's a little restaurant in there. And it's a guy who used to be like living in England, top and chef. And he's got this, and he does like these tasting things. Right. But real kind of out there, OMG, John. Okay. You do that next time. Well, you can come up next year when you do this race. You should do it as well. Get your mountain biking skills up. <laughs> Sweet. So my weekend was completely different to yours, John. Yes, what did you do? I worked very hard. We had a very hard working weekend. But in the weekend, I read Andrew Ridley, Ridgely, I think it is, from Wham. Oh, right. I read his yeah. book. Yeah. Nice. It's a pretty easy read. It was only like three, uh, three and a half hours to read. Um, reminiscing, John. Oh. Were you into Wham? Yeah, Wham, Bam, I am a man. It was almost one of the first, Wham the final was almost one of the first uh, tapes I bought, I think. Yeah. It was a pretty fascinating book because it was fascinating reading about his, the story of Wham. So basically, they were best mates from school. Was he in New Zealand recently? Because I heard him talking somewhere. Yeah, he was probably promoting the book. Mm. Um, and so they, they were best mates. And Andrew, all he wanted to do was be in a band. And George's mm. family were a bit more, like Andrew's family were a bit more kind of free going. His family was a bit more hardcore. So they started the band and it wasn't really going well. But they, they got a contract to a kind of an upstart record company. It's just an interesting story I'll share with you here. So basically what happens is they up, they had a couple, written about three songs, and they were kind of pretty good, so they put them in the record the album. First song comes out, Bad Boys, mm-hmm. which you'd know because you're yeah. a Wham fan, yeah, yeah. and uh, 92 on the charts, didn't go anywhere. Mm-hmm. So then what they do is they bring out number, they bring out uh, Wham Rap. Yeah, I think I, yeah, I, I remember, I don't remember how it goes, but I think I yeah, remember you know that. Wham yep. rap, you definitely know Wham Rap. So Wham Rap comes out, Goes under the charts, only goes like 60. Then luckily they get on some TV show on a Saturday morning, which is a big thing in the UK, and it gets up into the 40s. Now, at the time, the big show was Top of the Pops. Do you top remember? Top of the Pops, oh. yeah. Now, for you in America, you won't know Top of the Pops, but any, maybe Australia probably know Top of the Pops. Mm-hmm. Top of the Pops is massive. So, But Top of the Pops would only ever put you on the show if you made the top 40. Mm-hmm. So when Rap came out, at its peak it got to 42. Mm. And they couldn't get on top of the pops. And literally they're thinking, 
we're done. It's the end of mm-hmm. our musical career. Let's go, you know, go back and study or whatever we're doing. Well, one week, some band pulled out of Top of the Pops like two hours before the show or like the day of the show. And the, the producer of Wham had seen them on the other morning show. He thought they're pretty sharp. They pretty know what they're doing. We'll just get them on to fill in. Mm-hmm. Come on, do Bad Boys. Next week's song number three. That's, the end of, that's their career. Sweet. If that didn't happen, they would have gone, George Michael wouldn't have had I Want Your Sex. <laughs> and when I was a young man, that was an important song in my life. Nice. So there you go. So I love, I do love a good, I've read John's book recently as well. I do love a good music book. Good. Oh, that good stuff. Anyway, John, let's wrap it up. I'm Russ. Let me do it. Train hard. Train smart. Kick car.